there really isn't a separation between your 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 body and your mind. Your body's not the thing that transports your mind around. Your body and your mind are really interconnected and how you feel physiologically and how you think are completely interlinked. Hello and welcome to the Sanctuary First podcast. I'm James Cathcart. This is the final episode in my three-part series on mind, body, and breath. Over these episodes, I've been chatting to some experts about how human life is woven together through language, limbs, and lungs, as we wheeze and gasp and whoop and sigh through this veil of laughter, tears, and wonder. In episode one, The Body, I talked to physiotherapist Claire Young about how crucial regular movement is for our bodies. In episode two, The Mind, I spoke with Minister Amanda McQuarrie about the importance of being open and trying new things for our minds. And in this final part, we'll be focusing on breath. We often take our breath for granted. If mind, body and breath are a three-legged stool, we sometimes like to teeter on just two of those legs, or maybe even one leg at a time. You're completely absorbed in physical exercise, doing your pan in, or you're lost in thought deep in the woods of your imagination. We like to lean back on our stool, breathless. Luckily, we carry on breathing without having to think about it too much. <sighs> But just like how thinking and moving consciously can have positive ripple effects in our lives, so can breathing consciously. For this episode, I wanted to think specifically about how an appreciation of our breath can begin to unlock things for us physically, mentally, and spiritually. One of the things breath can do for the body and mind is give us a sense of time. When we speak or sing, We start a process. We send pressured air up from our lungs, vibrating our larynx and rattling through our skulls and past our tongues, lips and teeth. This all takes time. We paint sounds on the canvas of reality and each brushstroke allows us to mark time as it passes. One, one, two, two, three, three. Recipes in the Middle Ages would often give cooking times measured in prayers. Isn't that amazing? Stir the pot for as long as it takes to say the Lord's Prayer eight times. Cooks couldn't be relied upon to have smartwatches to time things, and they weren't allowed mobile phones in the kitchen, largely because they hadn't got around to inventing them yet, which was remiss. But they had lungs, they had breath, and they had prayer. The words of these prayers, spoken often, were woven into their everyday lives. With their breath, they could get a tentative grip on the elusive passage of time. One imagines charismatics ate a lot of burnt toast. And throughout history, people have used work songs like the sea shanties of sailors or the walking songs belted out when working with cloth to coordinate cooperative movement. Over the table, out in the field, setting sail, breath has been an essential means of tuning into time, the world, and one another. So, heave ho, let's go. Episode 3, The Breath My guest for this episode is Mark Russell. Now, Mark's many things. He's a triathlete, musician, yoga teacher... 
and a bowl of porridge. Now, bear with me on this. It's not because he's Scottish and he's good for you, although he is indeed Scottish and he is good for you, but I'm thinking rather about Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Before I found Mark's yoga class, I tried a couple of others over the course of a year or so. One class, while lovely, mostly consisted of wearing a lavender face mask while a nice stranger talked about the ocean. The second class I tried was… brutal. It felt like someone was trying to painfully extract the truth out of me. And listener, they did. So having had my cold porridge and my scalding hot porridge, I gave Mark's class a go. One last throw of the spurtle, you could say. And it was a revelation. Like Goldilocks at last finding the perfect Oti repast, I had come across a lovely community and ethos. Mark's class was welcoming, challenging, and encouraging. It didn't leave me snoring. It asked something from my breath, but it didn't leave me gasping either, ready to give up my comrades. Instead, I left feeling energised and more connected to my body. I started thinking properly about my breath for the first time in years. Mark's insights in the classes about the relationship between mind, body and breath were a large part of the inspiration for me to make this series. He's also the same Mark Russell who's done the fantastic music for these episodes. So, let's get into it. I began by asking Mark about how he got into yoga. So, I had been um, travelling around the world for a wee period of time. I took a little bit of a career break from my job and I had spent um, some time in Thailand, Australia, New Zealand, Hawaii. I like to put Hawaii in there. Um, San Francisco, um, New Mexico, New Orleans and New York. And I came home and when I came home, my brother um, within a few months had suggested that I try a triathlon. And I said, no, uh, that's silly. Uh, triathlons mean you have to run and running is terrible for your knees. Um, so I uh, eventually was persuaded to do it and kind of fell in love with the sport. Um, I've been doing them ever since. Um, so that was in 2007, January 1st. And his father-in-law at the time was a really good triathlete. And he spoke to me and said, if you, if you do want to do triathlons, that's great, but you should probably do Pilates or yoga or something on top. And I was a member of a gym where mostly what I'd done in that gym was sit in a jacuzzi, but they did have some yoga classes. So um, I, I, I just started doing the classes and I would do them on a Saturday with a teacher called Alison on a Sunday with a teacher called Claire. And I, I, you know, enjoyed the physical practice, but I really enjoyed just lying at the end, which is a lot of people's story, you know, like just resting and feeling, I wouldn't say blissful, but feeling content and feeling really mm -hmm. settled at the end of a, of a yoga class. I feel that uh, you don't, you don't get that often and it's not encouraged, you know, to just do nothing. You know, like we're, we're, you know, like so, so in Shavasana at the end of yoga, where you're literally doing nothing other than just letting go and breathing and enjoying the fruits of your practice, you know, so it, it's a really lovely feeling. 
And so I continued that for a long time. You know, I, I practiced for another three, four years. Um, and I, in 2010, had got engaged, and which didn't work out. And I was kind of like, oh, what do I do with all this energy? Should I uh, write really sad songs? Should I um, uh, smoke cigarettes? Should I whatever? <laughs> you know, like I don't know. I was trying to find some way, like uh, feel a bit better. Should I invest in beer? And uh, anyway, and so I just thought I spoke to the yoga teachers and I spoke to one of them specifically, and she said, "Why don't you do your yoga teacher training? You've been practicing for years." I, I had thought about it, even you know, even in 2010, I had thought about it. So January 2011, I um, began my teacher training um, and just became really fascinated by yoga as a subject. You know, like most people, I was kind of this idea that it was a very physical practice. And the more you study it, the more you spend time uh, reading about it and um, reading the older texts, you realize it's, it's actually a mental health practice. It's not so much about what you're doing physically, but what you're doing mentally. So, yeah, so I, I did that over the course of 2011. I thought, well, maybe I'll teach one class. So I started one class, which became two, which became three. At the same time, I was working full time. So there came a point in 2013 where um, I had to make a decision, you know, like I had to decide, do I... I was training for an Ironman triathlon at the time. So my triathlon, you know, my triathlon experience had gone to like, not the ultimate limit, but quite high up. You know, when you're doing an Ironman, you're, you're, you've got to be pretty committed. And then I was working full time. I was on call for my work and I was also teaching yoga almost every night of the week. And I was like, this is unsustainable, you know? So um, I spoke to my boss one day and we had a conversation about, um, where I was going and I just said look I'm going to resign and, and I want to try and teach yoga full-time so that's where it came from. I asked Mark to talk more about the relationship between mind and body and breath in yoga. The more I looked at it and the more I read it brought together a lot of strands of things that I already kind of believed you know like there there really isn't a separation between your 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 body and your mind you know you 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 know, your, your body's not the thing that transports your mind around. Your body and your mind are really interconnected. And how you feel physiologically and how you think are completely interlinked. You know, when you have a feeling of fear, there's a physiological response, which lets you know that you're having a feeling of fear. Um, then there's thoughts of fear and the, the two of them can um, intertwine and kind of like, because you feel afraid, you think you're more afraid and then you feel more afraid and, and it's kind of like this uh, circular self-perpetuating um, way of being. But the same is true on the other sense, right? If you can take control of your physiology, if you can relax your muscles, then your mind is automatically going to be more uh, steady, as my teachers would say, more soft. Um, just on a on a, a base level, you know, everybody I think has a level of stress, and yoga helps bring that level of stress down. And situations in life cause that to go up, 
Now, if your base level is low because you have a, a, a significant practice of yoga or something that's body mind related, um, then hopefully that's not too much of an issue. But if your base level of stress is quite high and then something comes on top of that, then that's why I think people are more likely to take anxiety attacks, panic attacks, and, and end up with maybe long-term difficulty with their mental health. Mm. And so in this series, uh, I'm looking at mind, body, and breath, and, uh, and something about kind of minds and bodies that we tend to be aware that we're thinking, and <laughs> we tend to be aware that we're moving to some degree. But breathing, I think, is the kind of wobblier leg of the of the stool if you like um we take it for granted um it's not something we think about too much and one of the things that's interesting um you know so i'm in your yoga class and and you talk about breathing in, in yoga and this idea of how um we can use our breath to kind of access certain movements or a certain range of movement or um or that kind of thing and so do you think i mean what do you think is going on there with our breath why why is it so, on the one hand, so powerful in terms of what it can do for us, but also so kind of under the radar? I mean, isn't it strange that we have this breathing which should be powering us along, and yet so many of us stay in this very shallow, shallow place? So I guess that the, you know, I do workshops on breathing, and that might seem a little weird because we breathe anyway, you know, and we have, so we have this automatic response to breathe, right? and people don't you're right don't give it that that much thought really i say to people you know that there's two breaths people think about it's your first one and your last one you know like and um i know you have little matilda and uh seeing her first breath must have been this incredible experience because that's really how we acknowledge life is like this first breath and how we acknowledge death is this last breath but what we're concerned about in yoga is all the breaths in between, you know, like, so we have um, our whole life is full of breathing and, and many, many, many thousands of breaths every day. And most people, you're right, don't, don't, uh, around as aware as they could be about the influence that breathing more effectively will have upon them physically and it'll have upon them mentally. So what the Hatha Yoga Pradipika says, which is, is a 15th, 16th century text on yoga, is how your breath is, is how your mind is, you know? And, and so if you think of somebody who takes uh, a panic attack, one of the first things that will, that will notice physically happening is, is a shallow breath and, and a quickening of the breath. So, <laughs> and, you know, and um, somebody's in some kind of emotional discomfort, then then crying obviously has an effect on the breath. So these things are are symbiotic between the breath and, and your emotional state. Mm. So if we can, if we can say, oh well, okay, we know that, right? We know that we don't. It's not intuitive. We just know that the breath is, is an indicator of these heightened emotional states or difficult emotional states. Then surely the same is true in reverse. You know, if you extrapolate that and say okay if i slow my breath down and i make it smoother then hopefully my emotional state can be steadied my mind can be stilled to a certain <laughs> certain amount and um you're just more in this place of uh what we would say in yoga sattva you know like this like 
or my teacher's called Svasta is the name of their their yoga there uh, a couple from India and their yoga is called Svasta yoga it's not really a style of yoga it's more a state of yoga um, where we're in this place of well-being and health um, so yeah so the breath is massively influencing that all the time mm. and what do you think this experience of pandemic has done for our breath you know like not just as in obviously the, the real struggles that people face who have had covid but also just the the just living with this kind of pressure and tension and kind of fear and not knowing i mean how how has that been affecting our breath do you think hmm. i would think that generally and, and not really related to breath just but it will affect the breath because breath affects everything we do and everything we do is, affects the breath but i think there's a feeling a slightly heightened feeling of stress but like a low level stress for everybody that's kind of crept in mm. and i'm not sure that people are always aware of it i think there's also a slight uh dulling of everybody's experience of life you know because you're allowed to do a lot less you know I, you're um yeah, there's, there's a, I think there's a lethargy and an anxiety at the same time. So it's not a good mix, you know. So I think there's a, a lethargic feeling of like, what's the point, you know? And there's also a feeling of, oh my God, this is a bit overwhelming or oh my gosh, this is a bit uh, too much. So I think it's probably in terms of what effect that's having on the breath. I, I think it's going to make it a little shallower and a bit quicker, but maybe imperceptibly so by ourselves, you know, because especially if it's not something you pay much attention to. Um, so yeah, that would, that would be my feeling on it. Like this feeling that um, the lethargy and anxiety are, are, are real. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just such a massive change, you know, and you know, and, and a lot of things in life, you're like, you know, it's like a bereavement, right? There's a, there's something happens, there's an event that causes you a disturbance. And generally there's, you know, like a way through that, hopefully for most people, you know, like a way to go on with your life or, you know, if it's maybe an injury or an illness, you know, hopefully you can access uh, the appropriate treatment. But I think the issue with the pandemic is, it's went back and forth and back and forth. When you think, oh, there's a bit of hope, suddenly, there, no, it's not hope. We're back where we started. In fact, it's twice as bad as it was. <laughs> and you're like, okay, so how do I, you know, how do I build myself up to cope with it this time? You know, because the first time I think there was a little bit of a feeling of a novelty value, you know, like, oh, this is, the world's turned on its side, you know, we're, we're not used to this. And then, Eventually, you're like, I don't really like the world turned on its side anymore. <laughs> Can I just go back, please? <laughs> just, uh, yeah. Have you got um, some wee suggestions of kind of straightforward things people might be able to do to retune into their breath? Um, you know, if, if somebody's thinking, listening to this right now, gosh, I've got no idea how I breathe. They're <laughs> suddenly feeling self-conscious yeah, about yeah, their breath. Sure. Yeah. How, yeah. What's a kind of easy or comfortable way to to reconnect to the idea of our breathing so there's a few suggestions i would uh think would be useful the first is if you can 
breathe through your nose in and out through your nose okay and it just filters the air it's it naturally slows your breath down it warms the air for your lungs to absorb the oxygen easier and it you know the, the 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 ability to smell through your nose is obviously really important it alerts you to any dangers so that's another reason we should breathe through our nose it's not so important in our our you know our time but i guess it used to be important for for uh, detecting dangers that might be might be around um also use the exhale a bit make it a little bit longer than the inhale okay so taking a long slow exhale activates our parasympathetic nervous system so the part of our nervous system that's responsible for um repair and recovery and digestion um so slowing down your exhale also your inhale a little bit too um if you if you have time you can you can take 12 breaths okay so 12 breaths will take no longer than two minutes for most people so that's about six breaths per minute which is kind of a nice breathing rate don't worry if it's like if you're at 10 or 15 you gradually work it down um but just taking that gap to breathe slowly and do nothing but breathe slowly in and out through the nose um isn't as might be enough of a stop gap for people to just realize the benefit that comes from mm. from working with your breath and working more closely with your breath cool I, I really like that 12 breaths that's nice that's you can because you can it doesn't feel too daunting does it it's just a dozen just doesn't we <laughs> just a dozen and actually the idea of 12 is really easy to count if you take if you if you open your hand just now and you look at your four fingers apart from your thumb mm -hmm. you've got 12 segments so you can use your thumb and just huh. touch the 12 segments so you, you do. don't even have to count yeah so <laughs> so the way we the way we the way we normally do it is we go up the index finger then along the top then down the pinky to the bottom along to the middle get to the middle of the middle and then the final one is the middle of the ring finger so you just go round in a spiral and count 12 and that's a way of just counting your breath without counting your breath so that is nice, so cool. right? yeah 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 it's 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 just a way to make it so you're not like was in seven or was in eight or was in nine i can't remember oh do i have to start again and another way for your your mind to interfere with the process so just taking your your thumb around these segments is 12 breaths so that's fantastic i really like that dear listener while editing this podcast episode right now i repeated this exercise of marks and i feel calmer and steadier for pausing it's a wee pocket-sized activity that roots your breath mind and body it's like an app you don't need to download I encourage you to file this away with Claire's movement alarm reminding us to boogie from episode one and Amanda's invitation to find your flow state in episode two. So something else I wanted to ask you about um, was to do with yoga and the voice because one of the things that struck me about uh, the yoga class going online 
is how important your voice is in guiding us through the experience. And your voice is always important as a yoga teacher in terms of um, guiding us through the experience and kind of creating a an atmosphere and so on. But it, it strikes me that online that's even more important when we're not getting some of the physical cues that we might be getting um, if we were in the space. And so I was just wondering, and the reason I'm thinking about voice is because of um, the breath as well, because of course we need our breath to power our voice. And so I was just wondering, to what degree have you kind of consciously thought about how you use your voice through uh, yoga and leading people through the practice before the pandemic and then in this new format is that something that sort of developed naturally how you um, lead these things or is that something you consciously worked on this this approach to how to um, how to take us through it so before the pandemic um, it's useful to be efficient in, in your use of your voice you know in terms of like the use of words and I'm a little chatty so it's sometimes hard for me to do um but I think there's an efficiency to allow people to experience more you know so I'm, I'm interested more not in people performing postures but in exploding principles mm. you know so how do you feel when you do this so like uh, there, it's almost like given as much permission for people to explore the practice through your verbal cues, you know, and um, I guess like most people probably do have a little bit of a yoga voice when we, when we practice, <laughs> um, like a lot of other teachers, I think, I think I probably do. But um, I also think like I had some instruction on how you enunciate and how you take a breath and how you mm. uh, take your time in terms of using the using your voice you know i can tend to speak a little faster sometimes um so just trying to slow everything down has been useful uh historically since the pandemic the first thing i noticed was so when i when we went straight online it was basically like boom we're online and I knew that the microphone that was initially picking things up was on the laptop. So it was a little further away. So I really felt this need to enunciate and, and speak louder and project. Um, and I felt quite vocally tired at the end of the week. You know, I really like on, on a Thursday night or Friday morning when the classes were finished for that week, I would, I would feel like my throat felt a little scratchy. So it was really helpful to buy like a wireless mic that attaches to me and attaches to the laptop. And you know that it should be picking everything up and that the sound should be clear, you know, because the difficulty is with the pandemic is you can be a little unsure when you're teaching how exactly it's looking and how exactly it's sounding. And you, do, you definitely have a better idea of how it's looking because you can see yourself on Zoom, mm. but you have not the best idea of how it's sounding so yeah i think it's okay now the setup i have is okay definitely and you do nope. the classes so you can tell me more <laughs> oh it's awful mark it's awful <laughs> I can hardly listen to it <laughs> no but um no it does it works it works very well and it's interesting um you know so you're saying there's less effort you're having to put into your voice when you've got the wireless mic but maybe also it kind of cuts some of the feeling of distance as well because it feels you know the the um in terms of your 
uh, almost as if you're in a room that's got a bit of acoustic suddenly um, because you're you've got that sense of of not having to push out the words um, in the same way um, but no I just thought it was interesting because you do you've got a great very clear um, uh, but warm way of doing the yoga you know I've dropped in once or twice to yoga classes before I um, decided I was going to do yoga and whatever and one of the kind of cliches about yoga is that it can be quite kind of um wafty and <laughs> and quite you know earnest and what have you um whereas one of the things that's really lovely about your class is how uh engaging and um just accessible you are um and was that a conscious choice as well in terms of how you how you lead yoga to be a um a friendly and an accessible voice you know thinking about that experience again the idea of taking people with you um on a journey so when I started studying yoga in 2011, like when, you know, a few years after began to practice it, um, I, I, I did a, a really lovely teacher training with the seasonal yoga guys in, in Glasgow, but I still felt there was uh, more to be uncovered. And there's still like, you know, it'll never be uncovered. <laughs> I'm going to be uncovering it too. So uh, I take my last breath. Um, so I, I had read a book at that time on a teacher called Krishnamacharya, and it was written by a student of his called A.G. Mohan. Um, and I had this feeling that he was very straightforward and um, he was very well informed. He seemed like somebody I would like to meet. So I went to Chennai in India in 2013. And when I met him and his wife, Indra, he was very clear about it not being wishy-washy, you know. He says, too much wishy-washy yoga, you know. And it, it, like one of the first things he said to me, says, the problem is with most yoga is it's made up, you know, like <laughs> people just make stuff up. And uh, so, so, yeah, he, I mean, yeah, I think people get an idea of something and then uh extrapolate it out to something that's not sometimes so so he's very clear he's very straightforward he's very a plus b equals c uh, if you do this you know with your body or you do this with your breath if you practice this to focus your mind you have this feeling of steadiness this feeling of uh sattva um and it was really endearing to me to to hear that from them Oh, that's lovely. I really like that uh, word as well that you used endearing, that you found that endearing, mm. um, the way they did yoga, and it clearly left an impression on you. And, and one of the things that's nice in your class as well is how you sort of pay homage to uh, the people who have taught you. And there's this sense in yoga of this, it's a really, it's a personal thing, you know, people learn things and pass it on to other people. Um, I mean, it's always been that way, you know, like, or, or, until recently, really, actually, like, yoga was this relationship-based teacher to student practice you know it wasn't um you know an hour a week in front of people you know where there's like almost this transactional thing it was like a, a relationship so when you're saying you you know you bring a warmth and a friendliness i really hope i do you know because i want to not be friends with everybody i don't mean like that but i want us to have this connection that's is not uh, there's nothing blocking the connection between us. We we can have real conversations, and there's nothing that 
that I'm doing that would make me seem like a guru. Okay, because that's <laughs> I really like that word, and my teacher really doesn't like that word. You know, if you call him Guruji, he gives you into trouble. Certainly, as as someone who goes to the yoga, it's really nice that uh, feeling of community as well. That's part mm. of it. Um, that it isn't just. Um, something I feel like I'm doing because I'm on my own self-improvement kick or something like that. You know, I'm actually going out there and um, being amongst people, even if it's online, I'm, I'm being amongst others and um, we're part of this journey together. Um, and it's really nice how there's a mix of uh, things that we return to um, uh, so that you can kind of get that sense of how we're doing, but also that we're open to new things. Um, and so there's a sort of narrative to it, the fact that um, you're, traveling along with other people it's not just um i'm here on my own trying to perfect my you know whatever it is my whatever posture <laughs> exactly uh, i grew up in community you know uh, grew up grew up in you know a community of neighbors with friends who are still my friends and i grew up in a community of church of people i'm still connected to i grew up in a community of um family who i'm still really tight with you know and, and see almost on a daily basis um yeah i just uh, losing community is a real sad thing i think for, for anybody so if you are somebody who has the opportunity to encourage community and develop community even though yoga is a very personal practice in some ways you know like it's very like it's about how you are uh connecting to the world through your mind and how you're seeing the world but if we can do that and also connect together as as a, a community then i think it's massively important definitely definitely what one of the ideas that i'm kind of looking at a bit in this um series is this idea of the trinity so in christianity you know father son holy spirit and and apparently the um in the early church they use this phrase perichoresis um dancing about <laughs> basically uh, to describe the trinity you know this idea that you know because how can you be three and one at the same time and and all the rest of it um but the idea that you know when what is a dance really is a dance the dancers or the music or the steps and it well it's all of it you know because a dance is um is something that involves all these different parts and um and so there was this idea this way of looking at the trinity as as a community in the sense that you know from a christian perspective the the kind of heart of the universe or everything is this community so if we're saying that we're made in the image of god then we're in made, made in the image of a communal god and so one of the things i've thought about in terms of this mind body breath thing is that it's almost like we ourselves are communities <laughs> you know like and even when you think about how like i don't know what it is but like some really large percentage of our body isn't us it's like other kind of microbes and <laughs> and things you know so even on like a massive kind of, like a massive amount of your body yeah Totally. So like even on a biological level, what actually is you and where do you start and stop? Um, and so I really like that that idea there that you've mentioned that, you know, with yoga that you're going on a personal journey, but that you can travel with other people. Um, and it's almost like within ourselves, we're a community, but then we link to other communities and, and so on. I think that is super funny, that idea of who is James, who is Mark, you know, because, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to think how uh, uh, gross to go with this, but when you <laughs> when you you know when you go to the bathroom in the morning, 
there's a significant part of you leaves you, you know, and it's not a part of you want to, it's not, you know, like it's not a part of you you want to be anymore. And, um, and when you, when you, when you take something, you know, when you drink water, drink tea, eat food, that is no longer food. That's now you, right? So when you, when you choose to eat something, you're, you're saying to that thing, I no longer want you you're not going to really maybe talk to a banana but when you eat a banana you're like this banana is no longer a banana this banana is now me you know yeah. why yeah yeah you know, like you know, they say this, you know you and, are and, what you eat so yeah. yeah yeah no i mean you are right everything you're made of is, is is has been something else at some point dear listener if all this talk about your banana becoming part of you and then leaving you is all getting a bit much take a deep breath Maybe use the digits of your fingers to take 12 breaths, like Mark was showing us. It can be alarming to realise your breakfast is part of you. So, let's get back to yoga, eh? Yoga's like, your mind's a mess. We're going to find some ways to, to work with this mess and untangle this mess. Yoga. Like a loved one. Like a beautiful resounding chord. Like an unexpected nap. Like the very breath of God. Finds us as we are. During our conversation, Mark said something lovely about the accessibility of the practice as he understands it. I always think that this practice is accessible for anybody, mm. you know, like, so there's, everybody moves, everybody breathes and everybody thinks. So if you're breathing, then you can practice yoga. Um, you can choose not to. And the, and the yoga teachers say, actually, if you're completely happy in your life, if you're completely content and you have no issues at all, there's no need to do this practice. Okay. <laughs> So <laughs> I, I've yet to meet somebody like that, though. <laughs> but theoretically, they wouldn't need to. Theoretically, yeah, like the, the yeah, the, the, the some of the the teachings uh, say that yeah, if you if you if you're completely content, there's you know there are some some people get up by. <laughs> so. <laughs> so here's the takeaway: take time to tune into your breath. Engage with it intentionally to build softness and steadiness. If your mind is making your breath faster and shallower, you have an opportunity to reverse the polarity and have your breath make your mind slow and deepen. Find community that you can tune into. Find the people with something you can learn from and the people who you in turn can teach. And maybe say thank you to that banana that stopped being a banana and became literally part of you, at least for a little while. And here we are at the end of the series. Mind, body and breath, eh? The mystery of consciousness itself. I started out by looking at this tension between the three systems. Why are we spread across these different systems that sometimes work together and sometimes pull apart? I was so struck by what Mark said about the idea that in yoga, there is this sense that if you are perfectly content, you don't need the practice. The perfectly tuned, rounded person would get a bye. They don't need yoga or running or physio or pastoral support. They wouldn't need it. On you go. Jog on. Except they probably wouldn't need to jog either. They could just float on. They don't need it. But the rest of us do. We need it. And so when it comes down to the questions I've been asking this series, why do we have these separate systems of mind, body and breath? The answer might be, because we need them. Because we're imperfect. 
theoretically a perfect being could be free of the constraints of a body or the interference of a mind or the limitations of breath. But we aren't perfect. We're far from perfect. We are beautifully imperfect, contingent. We stumble through step by step. Even our next breath isn't a given. We have bodies because we need them, because we'd be lost without them. We have minds because our bodies would be hopeless without them. We have breath because we are too much spilling over. We cannot be fully contained. Our being ebbs and flows on the tide of the universe. We wash in and out. Breath, bacteria, bananas. It all comes and goes in the making of a human person. A human person is a human pattern made of, from, and for community, created in the image of God, the trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The very tension between our bodies, minds, and breath, sometimes pulling apart, sometimes pulling together, gives us a glimpse into the deep reality of the universe. That our conscious selves are not so much what pulls everything together, but what emerges from the glorious dance of all of it. If we were contained and clockwork and perfect, we wouldn't be us. We'd be something else. To make a person, you need the stretch and pull, the movement of the body, the openness of the mind, the intentionality of the breath. Why do we have these three separate systems? Because that's what a human is. My sincere thanks to my guests who've helped me think, move, and breathe in new ways. Since episode one, I've been trying to embrace creative interruption in my physical movement, not just getting stuck in one place. Since episode two, I've been trying to take a more open approach to finding the pull of the current and leaning into its narrative. And after this episode, I've become more intentional about my breath and thinking about how it powers my speech, my thinking, and the community of bits of banana and porridge and toast that become me. I'm grateful to Claire Young, Amanda McQuarrie, and Mark Russell for their time and their warmth and the clarity of their insights. So, until we meet again, breathe well, move well, think well, and may the breath that enlivens all things guard your hearts and minds. Now, time to get the toast on. This podcast was written and produced by me, James Cathcart, and thanks to Mark Russell for the brilliant music featured in this episode. Thanks for listening.